The four A's is dedicated to supporting agencies and creative companies through leadership and community for our industry. We're passionate supporters of the work small agencies do across America and the role of the Small Agency Planner Parlay in helping strategists get fueled on creativity, commerce, and culture, all moving strategy and the industry forward. For more information on the many benefits of being a 4A's member, try aaaa.org to find out how our industry authority can be there for you. And now, the Planner Parlay. Welcome to Planner Parlay, a show where we come together under a flag of truce to talk about small agency planning. In this week's episode, our panel breaks down the state of scrappy agency research. They examine what makes us tick, where and when to find boundaries, and how to get at the emotion in all of us. Join our guests, Brent Snyder, Chief Revenue Officer for Meru Matchbox in New York City, Gunny Scarfo, co-founder of Nonfiction Research in Brooklyn, and of course, John Roberts, CSO of Truth Collective in Rochester, New York, as they strike the balance of rigor and agility in agency research. Pull up a chair and listen in. So, we're here to talk about research and how we believe it matters today and also, frankly, tomorrow. Thinking about balancing, as I see it, the rigor that we all demand from research, but also the scrappiness that I think is percolating more and more in today's world. So when we think about the world of research, what just happened? What's changed for you in the past year? Gunny, let's start with you. Sure. I think the one indisputable truth about what's happening with research is that timelines are getting shorter and technology is starting to get better. And then the second thing is that there's an appetite among agencies, brands, companies in general for not just research, but for insights that actually feel like they correspond to something in the real world. Everyone's inundated with research, but a lot of times people don't feel like the research that they're reading necessarily represents the lifeblood of the human beings who are making these buying decisions. Powerful start. I want to come back to that point about the lifeblood in a minute, but Brent, I just heard that uh, technology is on the rise and time is on the decrease. That's got to be good for someone like yourself at uh, Maru. No, I, absolutely, John. The pace of change, I think, in the industry, you know, a lot of people were saying, you know, is growing basically every single year. But I would say, you know, at this point, it's every month. Uh, and everyone, I think, is really trying to just stay ahead of it. And those who embrace it and stay future focused, I feel very strongly will succeed. And we know a lot about sort of the human decision-making process and, you know, what makes us tick. You know, we know a lot that we're not rational creatures anymore. We're very emotional. And therefore, you know, to Gunny's point, trying to understand the context, trying to understand, you know, how people feel um, and build that into methods, essentially start to close the gap between doing research and the reality of what the research is going to help drive from a business results standpoint. Uh, so from that perspective, deeper insights will lead to better decisions uh, at the end of the day, in my opinion. That sounds great, guys. And music to my ears. You know, I always talk about Brent, some of the conversations we've had in the past about we know as a company at Truth that the work we do is really driven by when we make people feel something, they do something. So let's talk more about that system one, power of emotion. And Gunny, does that connect back for you in terms of what you were talking earlier about uh, the research that feels real and the lifeblood you were talking about? It does. For us, the single most provocative thing in creative is 
feeling the uncensored human truth of people's everyday lives. Uh, when you see a brand that seems to actually get not just the stock photo version of who you are, but uh, the sort of like real dirty, gritty reality of who you are, your hopes, your dreams, the things you don't talk to your friends about, that to us feels like the most important thing that we can mine when it comes to hunting insights. But it also feels like the kind of thing that gives birth to the kind of creative that people really remember. So has it been lacking? When we think about why we're here and what we're talking about today, do you feel as though that notion about getting really deep into genuine human feeling has been lacking? I would argue that emotion is has always been uncool in business. <laughs> uh, like there's something about the way that corporate culture defines itself as being hyper rational, uh, hyper masculine, frankly, and that's not how people work. Brent was speaking earlier about the importance of being able to access system one. And some of the work that we've done, like it's pushed us to have to be more emotional. So we, we wrote a study on uh, intimacy in America, the extent to which uh, Americans behind closed doors actually have people who see them as they are and that they have a real genuine relationship with it where they don't have to perform like you might have to do on Instagram. And in order to get at that, we spent time talking not just with people to get them to open up, but we spent time with therapists. And some of the best insights that we actually heard were from the time that we spent with both male and female escorts. Now that might sound unusual, but the question that we started with was, who would know more about the private emotional lives and the ability to connect with others than someone that you literally pay to spend time with you and to give you that experience. And so both the male and the female escorts that we talked with gave us a look at emotional lives that are not normally the sort of thing that you would talk about in a conference room at work, but those are the insights that really need to go into the work that we're producing. That's fascinating. Can you share something that you learned and how did you present it to in a, in a client boardroom? Yes. Well, we're fearless about client boardrooms. Like that, that part's easy. We just uh, stay true, which is one of the reasons why we've always related to uh, your own uh, edict about truth. But one of the most fascinating things that we heard when we were speaking with the, the one female escort, she described uh, the experience of being with a client as seeing the whole in someone else's soul and being able to fill it by receiving them and like listening to who they really are. And all of the escorts described how that is an experience that people are not getting elsewhere, like even among their friends, that uh, with an escort, you are able to truly be yourself. And like, wow, what a deeply like heart-rending realization that is. And then the, the last piece I'll give you, because it's somewhat more amusing than the uh, heartbreak I just delivered, is that when we were speaking to one of the male escorts, we asked him, what percentage of the time that you spend with your clients is sexual? And he responded, 5%. And we said, what's the other 95%? And he described for us that most of the time that he spends with his clients is 
uh, watching Netflix, cuddling under a blanket, changing light bulbs, fixing a woman's computer, and in one extreme case, uh, actually like t talking to their kids to try to encourage them about college. The, the point of saying all of this is that all of these things are going on in America and going on in people's lives. And even people who aren't uh, spending their, their evenings with escorts are still experiencing this emotional desert of not being able to connect with others oftentimes. But this is uh, uncomfortable to talk about. Uh, but it's important if you're a company trying to relate to people, uh, or at least for certain companies, trying to relate to people emotionally, this is what reality looks like. And so for us, th these are the kinds of insights that can, can really come out of research if you're willing to go to places that others aren't willing to go. Love it. Love it. We talked, all of us have mentioned, talked about a little bit about system one. Brent, why don't you do the 30-second the version because you're an expert in just what is system one. And then talk a little bit about from your perspective, from a technology platform perspective, how can you deliver on that? Basically, from a system one side of things, you know, the whole system one, system two is obviously Daniel Kahneman, you know, thinking fast and slow. And we always thought, you know, we had sort of 50% of the left brain, 50% of the right brain, the creative and the thinking bit. But in reality, you know, we make about 95% of our decisions a day using our system one sort of reptilian brain. And therefore, you know, when you think about research and the techniques that have been used over the years, you know, what, what you essentially find is that we're just getting people to overthink and over-rationalize. So, you know, if you try and sync up with how we make decisions, it's really that you, we feel something and then we behave. So we do something based on that feeling and then we think about it. Um, and most of the time we essentially post-rationalize. So give us all the reasons and, and everyone else as to why we did what we did. Um, so if you follow that model, uh, from a methodology standpoint, you actually get to reality. You know, what is it truly going to happen? And, and when you look at advertising, you know, do you have that, you had me at hello? You know, does it, does it drive an immediate emotional impact? And, and how do you look at it from an emotional journey standpoint? You know, how do you play with the peaks and troughs of, you know, an emotional uh, piece of communication that's very story, story-like? Um, and I would say from our side, what we're doing you know, at Matchbox is we've just recently launched something called Brand Emotion, uh, which is not simply asking people what they feel about something, but using semiotics. Um, so we have about 9,000 photographs um, that we do, and mostly like a gamification. We show brands, we show pieces of communication, we show uh, logos and distinctive assets. And we simply want people to do from a from a quantitative side, in terms of the rigor behind it, is just build a collage using these pictures. And what it's grounded in uh, is actually some work done years ago with autistic children, because visuals are so powerful. Uh, and what we're doing is taking all of these collages from a quantitative standpoint, and we're creating brand signatures. So we're tapping into the subconscious. Uh, from a quantitative standpoint. Um, so having the rigor and confidence behind the results and what it's allowing us to do is really tell our clients and partner with our clients around what is going to be their emotional signature currently. But we also ask from a projective technique with consumers of what the ideal is. Um, so you understand sort of the boundaries of where you could push a piece of communication, even a brand uh, that's sort of starting to rethink 
who they are and how they're going to take uh, themselves to the next level. Uh, and we're also using it for white space opportunities, you know, looking at the competitive context. But using semiotics is a completely different way than we have, you know, even more recently with the rise in System 1. So I've got two guests who are both lighting up the world by doing very, very different approaches to get to something that we Gunny, you said at the beginning that clients we know care about deeply, okay? Ambitious clients, uh, really genuine, rich insight into the real world. What about the clients that don't appreciate this? I found, you know, I've got plenty of clients that I think about this as a past experience where clients want to use research to, to minimize risk. And I think what you guys are talking about is about using research to maximize opportunities. Is that fair? What about the clients that want to, to, to want to minimize risk? How do you overcome those challenges? Gunny. So. Do they even hire you, Gunny? Yeah, no, they don't. <laughs> they don't. But uh, I'll, I'll tell you, which gives us a somewhat of a unique perspective, I guess. So I think there, there are a few things that we sniff out really quickly in early conversations with a potential client. And we definitely turn down more work than we take, not because we're uh, so in demand, but simply because uh, we are a great tool for a a small number of projects and we like to avoid uh, messy situations like the plague. So we just really stick to like projects where we know we're good. But the one of the things that we see is it's less about risk maybe and more that uh, there, there's actually a fair amount of research out there that gets commissioned where the entity commissioning the research does not really care about the results. <laughs> and so usually, like when we work with Disney or we work with BlackRock, all of the questions that we get are about how do you know that this is right? That's the kind of question that we want, right? Because that shows they care that the insights we're bringing back are correct and actionable, and they can uh, bet $150 million on these insights. Uh, whereas there are in other times, the questions that we get are like, how quick can you get us something at all just so we can get started? That tends to be a, a red flag for us, for our style, um, not for all research companies, but that to us is like a maybe this one isn't for nonfiction kind of situation. Super. How about you, Brent? Uh, Well, what I've experienced in the past in terms of eliminating risk or limiting risk is uh, it's okay to say no at the end of the day. I think I'm I'm actually valued a lot more uh, when I say, you know, what we offer uh, is not something I think you need right now, uh, in my opinion. So in the past, it's always been if they've come to to us and wanting to limit that risk, um, and that's all they're wanting to do, uh, then our solutions really aren't a good fit. Uh, and there are other companies out there uh, that can help them with that. Um, and other sort of quick turn things like Gunny was talking about. Um, we can deliver on the quick turn, but it's also adding in sort of identifying things that are truly going to drive business results and get deeper insight. Because uh, when you have deeper insight, uh, you're really able to do some really special things and you're really able to push the brand. Um, and I feel like that's a reason why a lot of brands have, haven't really grown much in the years is that it's that sort of cover your butt uh, type mentality. Uh, and I think 
you know, being bold, pushing outside of the comfort zone uh, can really help elevate the work that we do, as well as the end benefit, uh, which is to really get back to brand growth at the end of the day. We've all three talked about what passion we have around the role of insight to create distinctive, meaningful, emotional connection for brand. How do you see, from, from what you know about each other, what are this, what's the connective thread between Gunny, the, the approach from nonfiction, and, uh, and Maru, and where are the differences? I see one very big commonality that I think represents the future of research, and one difference as well. The common thread is that you're hearing both of us talk about emotion, and John, earlier in this conversation, you talked about the importance of making somebody feel something uh, in order to get them to act. To me, that is uh, a huge amount of common ground between Brent's company and uh, what Ben and I are doing at Nonfiction, because the more you learn about how human beings work, the more you realize that what Brent was saying earlier, that it's emotion and unconscious things that actually drive the kinds of behavior. And so that that's a huge commonality. We come at it different ways, uh, but I would like to believe that, that that is the future, that the sort of hyper-rational survey approach to things, or even a, a rational approach of asking straightforward questions in a focus group, I, I, I would hope that that would uh, lessen in, in future years and things turn more towards emotion. I, I think the one difference between us is that in the trend that I talked about earlier, in terms of a, a demand for speed, uh, while we do have different uh, speeds of turnaround from two weeks to four months, that's actually sort of a trend that we uh, reject in a way. Like we, we are willing to miss out on that business uh, where people need quality insights in a short amount of time. We're just not built to to move fast like that. We actually think Brent is built to move fast and get quality things in a shorter amount of time. It's just, it's the luxury of having the technology. So when possible, we try to use those kinds of tools to accelerate ourselves. But I, I'd love to hear Brent's take on this as well. Yeah, I think, I think emotion is clearly the word that is the commonality between the two. And I think the approach is slightly different, but the end result is something a bit more richer, a bit more deeper uh, than what we typically, you know, see in other other pieces of research uh, that are out there in the industry. And I think the role of emotion and the word emotion has been thrown a lot around the industry. And you know, just slapping a piece of you know a question saying, you know, how do you feel, um, and having some some words that are associated with that is 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 one way of getting out emotion, but it isn't true emotion. Uh, and I think Gunny and, you know, his company, you know, the context in which he, you know, goes outside and sort of takes the blinders off and, and, and asks questions and goes to, you know, prisons and everything else to, to really deeply understand, you know, people at the end of the day. But it's emotion and it's getting at the heart of what drives them as a human being and then pulling the insights out of that from a much deeper uh, standpoint. I think the difference is I would agree uh, from a technology, we are a technology-based company uh, at Maroon Matchbox, and therefore the speed in which we can turn things around 
you know, happens a lot more quickly for us. And, and we're not giving up on that rigor. We're not giving up on things around emotion. Um, I think the other sort of difference from that perspective would be, um, like I said, just the context in which we ask different questions. Um, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. I think the way that we ask questions and the way that you put people in that context, you can get a slightly different response. And I experienced that over the years as well as how you ask the question or the environment in which you ask that question could actually give you and open up a new insight as well. So from that context, I think, you know, that is another difference between the two, but it's not necessarily a bad difference. I'm not getting any research smackdown, guys, whatsoever. We've got to juice this up some. Brent, Brent and I are actually facing off in the UFC octagon in a couple of weeks, so we're trying to keep it civil here in our research lives. You'll be drinking tea and charming each other to death. <laughs> so what frustrates you when you look at the world of research that you guys live in and thrive in today? Brent. What frustrates me? This is a very good question. Um, I think what frustrates me sort of the most is um, I, I get asked a lot by clients actually around, you know, what's the number one thing that you do? Um, and I, I really struggle uh, with that question because, you know, even asking it to any other human being is like, what is your number one quality? And I like to say that, you know, we as Ma Maru Matchbox, like Insight Community is the number one thing that we do. But, you know, I struggle and I wonder if it's just the proliferation, you know, of startups, you know, that are you know going after the behavioral sciences. And, and it's not necessarily a bad thing because they're really pushing the envelope, you know, as it relates to semiotics and other types of, um, you know, psychology based methods. But I really think it's for us, a company like us, uh, and some companies that are similar to us, you know, I'm all about making programs, um, partnering with my clients, putting together solutions that, that deliver on their business needs. And, and that, when I get asked that question, I, I sort of raise an eyebrow, but at the same time, I understand it from, you know, from the client perspective because they're, they're utilizing multiple different solutions. But you know, it's, it's making it more difficult for them because they have to piece all of those different things that they're doing you know, together into a more holistic story uh, that they have to um, make decisions on. Um, so I would say that that's one sort of frustration that I'm seeing sort of in the industry is that is it is it because there's too many options, uh, you know, in the consumer package good world, uh, you know, anyone coming to the U.S. would say there's too many options. Um, what do I choose? Um, and then it starts to, you know, make the water a bit murky at the end of the day. How do you feel about that, Gunny? Uh, I actually agree 100%. Sorry, you're not getting the smackdown. But the... Uh, <laughs> I got to say, we always talk about clients or potential clients will ask us, oh, you've gone into prisons. You've like spent time with bank robbers to understand finance. What's the magic technique that you're going to apply to, to our business of selling laundry detergent or whatever it might be? And we just don't think in technique. We, we always, we insist on starting with a question, with a well-worded question. Uh, we call it the burning question, which is something that the client admits that they don't know. And were they to know it, it would have a profound effect on their business. And so uh, when we get incoming stuff that says, would you run a focus group or, or 
hey, we're interested in having you propose something for our business. Uh, what kind of techniques might you apply or like how would you approach this? We never answer it before we're able to settle on a, on a reasonable question. And if we can't settle on a reasonable question, we know that it's going to be a morass and we avoid it. But it's, it's the exact same thing that Brent is talking about. It's, it's a, what's frustrating is an emphasis on technique and process of research rather than looking inside your soul and knowing like what you need to figure out for your business and then starting from there. So I'm actually surprised, but it's exactly the same. I, I love that, Gunny. In fact, I might even steal it because I think it's such a fantastic way to cut through everything and get really honest and truthful about what, why we're here. What's the burning question that we don't know the answer to, but we believe would have a profound effect on, on the business? It's, nice. it's totally it. It's just uh, it gives you a focus that uh, is impossible otherwise. So when we think about the role of uh, our, our podcast and Parlay, as, as you know, we've chatted about of bringing together all strategists, but particularly small agency strategists of how can we learn and, 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 and live together how could you, both of you, how could you thrive with small agencies more? Brent? Yeah, I think I think big or small, um, you know, it doesn't really make a difference. You know, small agencies, you know, similar to, to Matchbox is we're trying to build fame for our businesses, but also build fame for our clients uh, at the end of the day. You know, I talk about fame, it's saliency and, and bringing in more people uh, at the end of the day. And you do that very emotionally. So the approach that we take with smaller agencies versus larger agencies, you know, in my mind, I, I, I see the same approach uh, working for both. It's just one is, you know, significantly larger than the other. Um, the other thing with smaller agencies is a bit more nimble. You're fighting a little bit more, you know, for that business. You have tend to have a very unique approach where much larger agencies have a tendency to, to not be able to move as quickly um, and, you know, change. Uh, at the end of the day. So, you know, I love, you know, working with truth. <laughs> John, you know this, because you're doing the work that, you know, I'm very passionate about, you know, as, as a researcher, uh, as a business developer, these are the things that I want to do. And you want to sync up with other like-minded people. Um, and there's a lot of that happening at the larger, larger agencies too. But I think from our side, you know, the speed in which we can get things back and the rigor and the confidence uh, from the emotional side uh, is hugely helpful. You know, when you're going in and you're, you're pitching new business uh, or pitching new creative work uh, or even positioning work uh, to your clients uh, as you grow your business. We grow our businesses together because uh, we both succeed at the end of the day. Thank you, Brent. And you know, it, it, work gets so much less like work when you're working with people that think alike, right? They all passionately believe in a similar thing. So cheers to that. How about you, Gunny? Are you actually working much with small agencies or do you find yourself working directly more with client? Uh, it goes a little bit of both, but I think that uh, every small agency has faced two challenges in trying to win business and in trying to succeed in servicing business. The first is that if you're competing against other uh, agencies of your size or even within your geography, like the differentiation aspect can be tough because a lot of the times big agencies come in and say, uh, we have a global network of over 600 million offices in you know, every city on earth. 
And uh, we've worked on all these famous campaigns that uh, are part of the American fabric. Um, but as a small agency, you're, you're usually trying to sell your ability to uh, be a better partner or to move quicker and, and that sort of thing. And I, I feel like it, 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 sometimes it all collides into each other. And then the other, the second thing that I was mentioning is that when small agencies are competing against bigger agencies, that time where you know that you are the small agency in the, you don't know, but you intuit that the other agencies you're competing against are the, the normal list of uh, A-list agencies. That's a challenge too, because in order for the small agency to win that business, you have to come with a perspective that is so different. You are not going to win on, even if your creative is better, it, it, it's, it's harder to to win on that sort of thing. I believe that small agencies win those bigger pieces of business through a radically different perspective on the customer or on the product or on culture. So the answer to both of those challenges for small businesses, both differentiation against other small agencies and the ability to overcome large agencies are radical insights. So for us, I feel like we are a perfect partner for small agencies and I'm always cheering for small agencies because in a, a relatively short amount of time, we can help that small agency like find an angle, find a perspective on the customer that is uh, true but unusual. And that is the common thread between how small agencies succeed in both of those cases. Awesome. So I found from personal experience, and Brent, you know this as well from, from uh, years in the past, I found one of the ways, one of the best ways for me of overcoming the tired tradition within uh, some client expectation of the old ways of research, the, the minimizing risk that we talked about earlier, is I don't tell them until we have a really smart plan in place working with you know someone like yourself, Gunny or you, Brent. And then we use that to share with client about why we should be doing something that's, you know, that radical difference you were talking about, Gunny. Not just in terms of the outcome, but how we're going to find something, that rich insight. Do you have any other tips for any other small agencies out there about the best ways for them to bring in someone like yourself, Brent? Well, it's from a, from a smaller agency side of things is is the unusual part that Gunny mentions, and I, I, I agree with it. Um, what ends up happening also is that if it's a, a sort of new take on you know something familiar, um, is is one thing that I've seen a lot of agencies and John and your agency specifically have done is is taken something that you know, the general population or whoever you're going after from a, from a targeting standpoint finds familiar, but you spin it or talk about it in a slightly different way. So it's sort of that pausing moment where this looks familiar, but there's something special about it. And, and that from a surprise factor can actually work quite well uh, because you're not going to the opposite spectrum where it's so different from what's out there in counterculture uh, that people may reject it at the end of the day. Um, so as human beings, we really thrive on things that are vastly familiar, but a bit different to kind of put your head to the side and say, wow, I haven't seen it articulated in that particular way. 
And that is something from an emotional side of things that get people to kind of think differently, uh, as well as look at individual brands and even categories uh, in a slightly different way. And that definitely leads to behavior change. Um, and that from itself, from, an, from a smaller agency side, is that if you can bring that to the table, um, there's a lot of things from a rational side of things uh, that clients will start to ignore. So when you're going up against larger agencies, if it's really great work and it hits you, you know, as Gunny said, you know, seeing into your soul, <laughs> you know, that's the type of work that, you know, we're all human beings at the end of the day. And if it makes you feel something, it's going to make a lot of other people feel something too. I'm smiling because all of this conversation we've had about feel something, do something applies to our own lives and our client relationships. If we can get our clients to actually feel that this is absolutely worth doing, then the post-rationalizing of will it minimize the risk? Do I know it's the right thing to do? That all comes secondary. Gunny, I want to come back to something you were saying earlier. And you, you talked earlier about your clients asking, um, how will we know if this is right? When you think about the, 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 the role of the, the, the provocative research that both of you offer to reach to genuine human insight, can Quant alone do that? I won't say it can't, but why would you ever do one without the other if you could? Like if you had the choice, you don't always have the luxury of time or budget. But as, you know, as someone who does like half and half of, of both, I can tell you that pure qual without going out and sizing it in some way or segmenting it would make me very nervous to mm -hmm. make recommendations to clients if they're going to open up a new line of business or, you know, bet the year 2020 of their campaign on something. And likewise, we find that with quant that could have been performed better it it didn't go wrong because the methodology was wrong most people get the methodology right it went wrong because you didn't ask the right questions uh -huh. you could have offered better either asked different questions better questions or even asked the same questions but given different selections as potential uh as potential answers and the best way to better know what kind of questions could produce breakthrough statistic you'll never forget quant is to do some kind of qual in advance it just makes your questions better so for us we love the two of them together but ben how about you from your perspective because you've got an interesting take on this uh, i think i think it can i think quant can um and you know at the end of the day you know you're trying to get to emotion at scale um, and from a qualitative side of things, qualitative adds a bit of depth to what you're looking at. So whether, you know, we sometimes, you know, clients say, well, we want to do some qual first and then we'll do some quant. You know, qual doesn't necessarily have to be at the beginning. It's where, where does it belong in the process and the program uh, to help deliver on that need at the end of the day. So from a quantitative standpoint, I, I do believe it can. I agree with Gunny actually around, you know, the types of questions that we ask. You know, as human beings, we hate answering scaled questions, but we continue to do it over and over again. We're more around sort of binary scales um, and using things like projective techniques, where we're asking people not what they personally feel, but what do they feel the market? How do they feel the market would react? 
And that that's a difference in the way that you're asking questions. And uh, the reason being is that we're very observant as human beings. That's how we, that's how we grow. That's how we learn. Uh, that's, you know, from very early childhood through to, you know, uh, adulthood. It's observing the behaviors around us. You know, we're taking in so much and therefore we're actually better at predicting, you know, what other people do than ourselves. Um, and it's not that we're lying. Uh, we just tend to overstate what we do. So from that context, you know, quant can do that, but I'm a big believer in qual, um, and the power of qual, but it, it's not forcing qual on something that doesn't necessarily need it. So if it's the right position, it's the right piece of work, it's the right business need, absolutely, the power of the two. Fantastic, guys, and uh, we're nearly up on time. So listen, I'm thinking one final question for both of you. What would be your one thought of advice for us agency strategists out there that you believe will help make us better at what we do? Gunny. I would say that the answer to that is embrace intimacy because it's very easy these days to concoct your research and insights and strategy off of a quick round of Googling. And, you know, it's, it's unfashionable to say that, but it happens a lot in a lot of agencies where you never really do get past a quick round of desk research uh, and then shoot some things over. But actually asking yourself at the outset, the second that you are assigned to a client or assigned to a pitch, how can I have intimate conversations with or get intimate insights from, even if it's not in conversation using technology, how can I have an intimate dialogue with the person who's going to be buying this product it's going to lead you into good places. Love it. Brent. Sure. So I have, it's, it's not one thing. It's a combination of things in a sentence, uh, which is, you know, stay curious, be emotional and be distinctive because differentiation is not how we view brands, agencies, products that we use. It's not about being different. It's about being distinctive. And if you hold true to all of that, uh, you will outpace uh, your competition uh, and also be successful uh, in the future. Two fantastic closing statements that lighten up, brighten up my day. Thank you so much. Uh, I love the conversation. I love the, uh, the convergence on understanding and really celebrating the power of emotion. How we understand and learn from it in terms of research, we can come at it from different ways. But it all drives us to uh, both a passion in the work we do as well as better outcomes. So, Gunny, thank you. Brent, charming as ever. <laughs> yeah, thank, you, thank you both. This was fun.